Hi, and welcome to Influential Introverts. I'm your host, Paul Juggins, a mindset mentor for sensitive female entrepreneurs, and I'm on a mission to empower more influential introverts like you to embody your true nature and stand out as a leader in your industry. Join me each week as I'll be interviewing empathic experts from around the world who'll be sharing their inspirational stories of personal transformation with you and how they use their sensitivity to thrive in an extrovert's world. Each week you'll get to learn from thought leaders in mindset, personal development, entrepreneurship, spirituality, female empowerment, creativity and conscious leadership, as well as much, much more. Throughout I'll be teaching you some of my own mindset tools to help you gain powerful insights into your own identity and help you make friends with your fear so you can grow your heart-centered business feeling fully aligned with your soul mission. This shows for you if you're tired of swimming against the extroverted current and want the confidence to authentically express yourself and become a world-class entrepreneur on your own terms. So if this speaks to your heart, my friend, come and join us. When we want lasting, sustainable change, we need to do that deeper work. And I believe totally as well as empowering people with the knowledge of, of like psychoeducation to understand what is going on. Our unconscious brain will create a story around what is happening. And it might be that maybe you got up to speak or to read the book in class because the teacher asked you and perhaps you stumbled over a few words and the whole class laughed at you and you're only six or seven years old. In that moment, you might have created a story that I'm not as good as the others, or it's dangerous to speak out. And that sticks. It's not true, but the unconscious creates the story and a belief. In this episode, Colleen Sodano. Colleen is a psychotherapist, coach and mindset mentor, working with women, helping them to achieve their vision and goals and unleash their potential by conquering their mindset gremlins, such as limiting beliefs, fears and imposter syndrome. She also has extensive experience working with trauma and breaking negative patterns of behavior. And in this episode, Colleen is going to give you some real insight into how you can start pinpointing and understanding your core limiting beliefs, where they come from, and giving you the tangible tools to start to overcome them. Colleen gives so many clear and deep explanations in this episode around basic human psychology and evolutionary psychology, making it very easy for us to understand why we do what we do, so you can bring that mindful awareness to your situation begin to take the steps to start rewiring your mind and overcoming the core limiting beliefs that are holding you back. And there's so much wisdom in here for you, my friend. I really hope that you get some transformation from this episode that helps light the way to beginning to help you unlock your true nature and overcoming any limiting belief that's holding you back right now. This is a topic that is really dear to my heart and I hope you really enjoy this episode. And I'll be back at the end to say goodbye. Hello and welcome, Colleen. It is beautiful to have you here on this episode of Influential Introverts. I've been so excited for our chat. It's beautiful to have you here. Thank you so much, Paul. I'm really uh, chuffed to be here and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm really excited about all the insights and expertise that you're going to be bringing. And in this episode, we're really going to dig deep into, I guess, psychology and beliefs and how they really shape and shift your life. But before we get into all that really juicy territory, I'd love you to introduce yourself to us all and, and share a little bit about your story and what's got you to where you are right now as a really leading figure in the mindset world, as a, a psychologist, as someone who is really helping female leaders own their voice. So we'd love to learn a bit more about you, Colleen. Thanks so much, Paul. So my first career actually um, was nothing to do with psychology or psychotherapy or anything like that. I actually started my career in electrical design engineering. 
And I worked in that industry for almost 20 years. And of course, it's a very male dominated industry. I was very much often the only woman engineer within the office. Um, and quite often I was on a site office. I did spend seven years on the Olympic Park while they built that. So, you know, mm -hmm. I was, yeah, I mean, that was exciting to be there. Um, so that was my last project, actually, working on the Olympic Park. And, and at the end of 2012, I left. And that's when I embarked on this new career. I'd already started my training. But while I was working in engineering, I, I myself experienced lots of imposter syndrome. And sometimes when we are you know, the only in a situation, the only woman or the first of some kind, um, it can trigger some of these feelings. It's not the cause of the feelings, but it certainly can trigger some of these feelings. I didn't realize at the time that what I was feeling was imposter syndrome. I didn't know this, these feelings had a name. All I knew was I had a, quite an anxiety of feeling like um, maybe I shouldn't be there. Maybe I was just almost the token woman rather than I was there for my um, ability or, you, you know, what I could what I could bring. And so I really experienced a lot of these anxieties and these fears when I was working in engineering. And sometimes it was worse than other times. Um, but it really did get to the point where I needed to have get some help. And so I really dived into self-help. And um, I also went and got some professional help as well. I had some a bit of counseling and I discovered actually what I was experiencing um, was imposter syndrome. And then I was able to overcome it, you know, not just obviously through the counseling I had, but also a huge amount of my own journey with self-help. And so that really kind of sparked my interest in psychology, in this whole sort of line of self-development. Um, and so that is, and plus I hadn't for a while felt that, um, I don't know, like fulfilled in the job that I was doing. I always felt that I wanted to be doing something else. And so it wasn't the reason why I left engineering that, you know, imposter syndrome wasn't the reason why I left it, but it certainly was the catalyst to me rethinking what I wanted to do. And so I then started to retrain and I decided to become a psychotherapist. I wanted to as well help other people overcome some of the difficulties that I had overcome. But at the same time, I also had a real passion about working with women and pushing women into areas where perhaps they hadn't felt comfortable moving into because maybe it was a male dominated space, or maybe they were the first woman to try and do something because of my experience having come from such a male dominated environment. And so that is why I do champion women to go and just become those leaders, you know, because the world needs more balance in that way. Mm. And so that is why I definitely help more women than I do. I mean, I do work with some men, of course, but that's mm -hmm. kind of why I, I champion women in that way. Beautiful. I know right now that your business and your presence has really taken off. You've taken to the clubhouse environment and you, you run a very successful and engaging room, I must say, on there called Women in Mind. And it's been beautiful to listen into those conversations and hear firsthand how you are empowering these women here to really think and see themselves from that different perspective and tune into who they really are and you give such beautiful calming advice I feel as well and maybe you could tell us a little bit of how you kind of maybe transitioned from your normal practice into now this kind of new role that you have as as a leader in this new environment really connecting with women on that deeper level. Oh thank you so really really kind of you to say that about the 
room. Um, I love running it. Um, so I first of all moved over from straight up psychotherapy. I did that for years and, you know, I absolutely loved it. But I did want to work much more with women in business, really championing women in leadership roles. And so I first of all started using social media actually with Facebook, Instagram, stuff like that to really sort of um, target those groups. And so what I did was I went and I did a little course about how to create actually a, a sales funnel because I wanted to start advertising my services more for like group coaching and stuff like that. And when I went and did this little challenge, it was actually um, the One Funnel Away Challenge, I got involved in this whole business community and a lot of the people were struggling with things like mindset, real mindset issues. I noticed that they had amazing strategies, amazing things in place, but the thing that was actually holding them back was their mindset. And so it was like, oh, wow, I can help you. And so actually it was just um, from being engaged in that community that actually I started getting some of my first clients that was more about mindset within the business space and working with women more in that way. And so it was almost sort of like not accidental dental but uh, because that was my intention but it actually just by doing something like that but doing a challenge within the business community with lots of other business people small business owners entrepreneurs that type of thing it actually just allowed me to be able to go oh do you know what I can help you and I started just in Facebook groups where they all were hanging out I started offering advice and stuff like that and before long people were coming to me and they were saying oh could you help them with this mm. that's kind of how it started and then the, the clubhouse thing obviously was a natural progression from being so involved in social media already for my business and promoting my business was then I went over into clubhouse and there was no looking back. I think the other platforms I think have been great, but nothing like clubhouse. I love the interaction. You get immediate feedback in terms of engaging with people yeah. in a real live way. For me, I think I've found my platform. I do love to talk, as you may have noticed. And that is, I think, you know, what Clubhouse is all about in, in that immediate dynamic type of engagement with people that other social media just doesn't give you. Mm, absolutely. It sounds like you've really found that beautiful combination of where you can really serve, where you feel comfortable expressing and building a community and like all the little dots have joined to, to get you to where you are and you were open to to following it so I think that's a beautiful reminder and one of the things as well that I really respect about you Colleen is that as someone who is in the mindset world who coaches around mindset it's beautiful to hear someone who can speak about it in a very articulate way but also has the very real depth of knowledge to back up the statements that you make I think one thing that is slightly, to choose my words carefully here, but it's, it's slightly off-putting online sometimes, even though there's a lot of well-meaning advice. But when we're dealing with the mind and feelings and beliefs, we have to choose our words very carefully. Um, so I think it's really beautiful that you have such a, a solid background academically and spiritually, all these different aspects that you put together and there's real weight behind your comments. And I really noticed that in the clubhouse space, when you speak, you're able to hold a really lovely space, uh, hear the person who's talking, but your responses are very deep and they're not on that superficial level. Um, and I think that's incredibly important right now in the social media environment. 
when you're speaking and advising people to actually really kind of know what you're talking about before you open your mouth. And because our beliefs were so impressionable and the wrong message, even though it's coming from maybe a place of well-being, if it's delivered in a way that's maybe not compassionate or be it's coming from a, a place of just really not knowing exactly what you're talking about. So I think that's something that is incredibly vital. And I and I wonder if it's actually something that is a key factor in why, and there's there's lots of reasons why your clubhouse uh, community has really grown. But I, to me, that was one thing that I, I found really reassuring listening to you. It's like, okay, Colleen's going to come up with a great answer here and then she's going to back it up by X, Y, and Z. And I wonder if that's something that is kind of quite refreshing for people in a world of so much information. Uh, definitely as a sensitive person and in the introverted world, we love to have very clear, concise, well thought out information, not just stuff that's just blurted out there. So in a roundabout way, I wonder how you feel about holding that space for these women in Clubhouse being sort of seen as this go-to expert now, I guess, that you are for them? Yeah, so I feel quite passionate about in what you were speaking about in I'm not a rah-rah person. So, you know, there's a lot of motivational talk and stuff out there, Mm -hmm. which is, it's quite, as you're saying, it's surface level. And so you can, you can motivate someone, you can go to an amazing motivational speech or listen to a motivational speaker. And you could go away feeling absolutely charged up going, yes, that's it. I'm going to change my life. And that can last for, I don't know, it could last for maybe a few days, a few weeks, if you're lucky, maybe a few months, but it will wear off because it's just, they filled you up with a, an emotional charge. And I'm not saying that it's it's not great, but the deeper work hasn't happened. And so sometimes, you know, people don't want that. They want the easy fix. They want the thing that's going to be like, that's it. I just need to listen to this motivational person and then I'm going to change my world. They don't want to actually necessarily do the deeper work. Um, And so when we want lasting, sustainable change, we need to do that deeper work. And I believe totally as well is empowering people with the knowledge of of like psychoeducation to understand what is going on. For instance, if you're experiencing anxiety or even panic attacks or something like that, what is actually going on with you? You know, what what is going on in your body? So that sometimes, you know, when we understand something, we can then also feel more in control over it. Doesn't mean that maybe if you're someone who's experiencing panic attacks, that suddenly it makes the panic attacks disappear. But it does help you when you're having it to go, okay, well, I do understand what's happening to me. And somehow you can sort of start feeling more in control because it's not this like crazy random thing that is just happening. It's you understand the process. So I'm quite big on that of explaining what is happening so that you can feel empowered and understand all of these things that are going on. So psychoeducation is incredibly important for to me. Plus, I do come from that engineering background. And so understanding how things work is really important to me. And it's important to others. Some people don't. Some people are just, oh, just fix me. It depends on the person. But there certainly is a market for people who want to understand and you know, know what's going on are also prepared to do that deeper layer of work. Maybe they've experienced some 
motivational speaking or some rah-rah type stuff and they've maybe changed for a while but then it wasn't sustainable and they've slipped back into their old beliefs or their old ways or patterns of behavior or whatever because it wasn't sustainable so what I do with what I bring and I hope to pass on is stuff that can be sustainable for people and I know we can't do it all in a clubhouse session of course but it's giving them the ideas of okay you could work on these are the tools you need to go do the extra work or the deeper work Absolutely. Totally agree. Educating and empowering people to be able to take control so they're not just looking for a quick fix or someone else to fix them. And yeah, understanding is, is so liberating when you understand that, OK, there there's a reason why this is happening to me, a, a bio or psychological or some you know amalgamation of, of the two that's kind of calling the shots right now. That's that's making me act or feel like this. Yeah, my own experience, once I began to realize and understand what was going on, then it did make me feel a little bit calmer. I think what it was is that it took away the story of there was something wrong with me. Now it's like, oh, it's this. I could give it a name. And then it's like, okay, well, now I know it's this. I can use those particular tools that will soothe or comfort this particular thing, whatever that was. So I would love to just jump into beliefs. We've talked a bit about it and and hearing on your clubhouse, it's coming back to our core beliefs. And you touched upon it in the, the entrepreneurial world as well, where there's a lot of strategy, but there's this dissonance then between the mind and how you show up and be yourself. And the show is all around empowering sensitive people to really be themselves and I know from coaching them around mindset and on my own journey, there are so many blocks that emanate from the core limiting beliefs that we have from, you know, feeling good enough to, to speak on your subject, from, you know, showing up and just being visible online. So I would love if you could guide us through what are our limiting core beliefs? Maybe I should say, where do they come from? Because it is the thing that shapes our life. It is the viewpoint, the perspective. Everything is kind of seen through this lens. And like you say, from going to the the sort of hype event, motivational stuff, like the Band-Aid, it kind of solves the problem for a short period of time. But it doesn't get down into that nitty gritty to really bring release and get to that true nature. So maybe you kind of educate us a little bit on limiting core beliefs and where they come from and why are they so difficult to shift? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, you know, limiting beliefs, they can show up in so many different ways. We can have our own personal limiting beliefs that is unique to us. And then, of course, we also get limiting beliefs that are shared, you know, shared by our family, the sort of like almost family dynamic or the culture in our family or society, you know, different countries will have their different type of beliefs and customs that can create limitations. And so, Limiting beliefs can also be, you know, not just about ourselves, but about the world, like um, the world is a dangerous place or whatever that can create limitations. And so really it comes from our deeper programming of when we were children. And so between naught and seven, seven to eight years old, approximately, we we're in a really deep programming state. And so I don't know if you, anybody who's listening has ever heard the saying, give me the boy until seven and I'll show you the man. Because ultimately, this proverb or the saying is very much about that is the time, the time period in a child's life where all that deeper programming happens. It's where we form our core identity and some of our deeper unconscious beliefs. 
And that very much is also because, you know, until about seven or eight, children are in the theta brainwave pattern, which is the programming brainwave pattern. Only later do they grow into these higher states of brainwaves, which is like the beta brainwave pattern, which is where we do our critical thinking from. And so only at about eight years old does our critical thinking faculties come on board. So until then, we are just absorbing absolutely everything that gets conditioned into us or that we see. And so what happens as well is if we experience anything in our younger years, I mean, it happens later, but but as I say, this is in between, you know, Norton seven to eight years old is the deepest time. If we experience a moment where we are experiencing any sort of inner conflict, be it that we have been shouted at or perhaps we've been ridiculed or we have any sort of emotional abuse or physical abuse, anything that's going to cause that stress response in us, our unconscious brain will create a story around what is happening. And it might be that maybe you got up to speak or to read the book in class because the teacher asked you and perhaps you stumbled over a few words and the whole class laughed at you and you're only six or seven years old. In that moment, you might have created a story that I'm not as good as the others or it's dangerous to speak out in a group Mm. of people. And that sticks, you know, becomes a, it's not true, but the unconscious creates this association because the unconscious is not rational, it's not logical. It can create these associations that perhaps aren't based in any truth, but it creates a story and a belief. And so that's what often happens. It gets programmed incorrectly. It's not necessarily that anybody ever said anything to you like, oh, you're useless. Maybe that did happen. And then that's, you know, another whole story of deeper programming. But it could be that's just something innocent happened to you and your unconscious created association of I'm not as good as others or the world is a dangerous place or I'm not lovable or I'll never be accepted, whatever it may be in particular to to that situation. And then that becomes part of our inner identity, becomes part of an unconscious belief that then we can carry and that can quite often come out later in life. And so I'll give you a quick example of how sometimes this can work. And so on a conscious level, we say we want something, but we don't we don't get what we want. We get what we believe. And that's that deep programming of what is sort of been programmed into us. And so you might say on a conscious level, as an example, I want a loving relationship. And you do. Of course you do. You'd love to have a loving relationship. But over the years, you've either somehow gone from one relationship to the next that never worked out, or perhaps you've just never had one. This is what your conscious mind wants. Of course you want this. But there might maybe on a deeper level, an unconscious belief or story that's been programmed into you. So for instance, if you then grew up in a household where your parents were fighting a huge amount, or maybe one parent was incredibly dominating over the other. And when you were that little child, you would go into the stress response and you'd have those moments of inner conflict and fear around that situation. Maybe it got programmed that a relationship means loss of control if you saw your one parent dominating the other extensively, or there was huge amounts of shouting, a relationship means a threat and a relationship is is dangerous. Of course, consciously, you know that isn't, but we're dealing with that deeper program that got programmed in at that time when you were a child. And so later in life, when you say, I want that loving relationship, that deeper underlying program is running. And so the unconscious will always win because 90% of our behaviors and our beliefs and our thoughts come from the unconscious. And so if it's got a program running, that a relationship is 
a threat or means you'll lose control, which is a threat, then it will create subtle self-sabotaging behavior around losing that relationship or not bringing a relationship in. So the unconscious is incredibly powerful compared to what you are saying on a conscious level. And so that deeper work needs to go there with what is the deeper program that is running. And so when you are not getting what you want in life, then there is probably a deeper issue going around beliefs and programming. So clear. Thank you so much. So it's so ingrained in us on such a fundamental level that it really does become part of who we are for better or worse. Absolutely. Like you say, that the subconscious mind is really running the show and we think that we're in control. But uh, on this deeper level, we're kind of at the, the mercy of, of our upbringing or our different conditionings or whatever messages that we took on board at this younger age. So it really does kind of make sense that it's it's so difficult for us to make these big fundamental changes in our identity. Absolutely. Just one more thing I want to just say about that is that it also creates patterns. And so mm. the brain is very much about, um, you know, its main function is, of course, to keep us alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm talking about that unconscious part. Um is to keep us alive, but it's also to conserve energy because conserving energy is also a way to keep us alive in case there was a threat or there was something you needed to run away from or fight. I'm talking about back in the day when all of these mechanisms evolved, you needed to conserve energy because we needed energy to stay alive. The brain is all about creating automations out of what it already has experienced. And so if you've experienced something once, it will look back, well, how do I respond? I'm not going to create a new thing. I'm just going to look back into the archives. Oh, you do this in that situation. It just creates automations. And so sometimes we do think we are coming to new new situations in a new way, but we're not. We're just repeating patterns that in the similar situation, we just respond in the same old way because it's conserving energy. We don't have to create something new. We just run an old program. So that's another important thing about how these patterns are um, running through our life as well. Mm, I think that's really relatable. We can definitely notice the patterns, the the things that we just do habitually in, in these certain situations. And by bringing a little bit of awareness to that sometimes, I think that can really be helpful in actually looking at yourself what am I doing when I, when I have these sensations, when I feel resistance or fear and I, I feel like I shut down or what are the things that I actually do? I think that can be really helpful in just making that first step even into like, okay, this is what's going on. This is where I need some attention. And I think it's really interesting that you bring up the evolutionary psychology as well. And even just knowing about that, like understanding these things when I first started to, to read about the limbic system and all these different parts of our brain that are like, you know, evolved and took shape over time. We are hardwired, like you say, for this survival and we have a negative bias. We're always looking out for danger. And while these things served us beautifully back in the day, now there's not necessarily anything wrong with them. It's just how they're interacting with the environment that we're in now is so completely different. And it's kind of manifesting in, you know, self-doubt and judgment, imposter syndrome, all of these different things. These are like the most common mental blocks that we we all face. Um, and it really lends itself, I think, to this severed identity is something that I think about a lot. We're ingrained with so many things that are us, but don't really feel like who we are. And there's this duality 
I know we, we can get into duality a bit later and, and speak about the ego and, and and the subconscious mind. But when I'm speaking with introverts and sensitive people, we we have this sense of I don't really feel like I can be myself because there's this pressure to kind of conform. You know, we, we live in a very extroverted society at the moment. And there's this feeling of like, I can't really be myself because of all of these different fears around what's expected of me, of, like you say, some little incident in my childhood, perhaps, that has given me a certain belief about myself. So I wonder if you can give us some insight around how to begin to celebrate your identity looking at what are the things that I am doing or believing that aren't really true to who I am and where can I begin to to soften a little bit and bring in some of that inner work in a way that's quite gentle and a, a nice way to start. So I think the, the main thing to really understand about feeling like you can't be yourself or f- almost sort of like that it's maybe even dangerous to be yourself Mm. we have you know it's once again it's like a primitive program that runs within all of us that we want to be accepted we want to be liked and accepted and it's a primitive program that runs because back in the day if we weren't accepted in the tribe or we upset the tribe and we got kicked out it really meant certain death there's no way we could have survived on our Mm -hmm. own outside the tribe and so It is a program of survival. It's a survival program to want to fit in, to want to fit in and be accepted. And it really is just a very basic primal program that's running. But also we have the ability to be able to stand back. We have consciousness. That's just an automatic survival program running in the unconscious. But we've been gifted with a conscious brain, which we are now evolving as well. And I truly believe that that is the next big step in our human evolution is to really sort of evolve the conscious because the unconscious Mm. has been there forever. It's the oldest part of our brain. And all these mechanisms evolved millions of years ago. And now the prefrontal cortex or the neocortex, our conscious brain that sits on top, that's the newest part of our brain. Mm -hmm. And so at the moment, a lot of what we are experiencing in life is that we've been controlled by this unconscious part of our brain. You know, we get what I call an emotional hijack. You know, in a situation, before you know it, you're emotionally hijacked and you're saying things you don't want to say. You're not in control. Your emotional unconscious brain is in control because all our emotions are generated from the limbic system, which is the unconscious part of our brain. There's no thinking, there's no thoughts. All our emotions come from there. And so often when things happen, we go into a reactive state, which is this, being in control, you know, the emotional brain is in control and it hijacks us. And we, as as I say, you say things you don't want to say, or, you know, it's not just negative emotions, it's also positive ones. It's like, you know, we've all made terrible decisions when we're overexcited, you know, let's go buy that timeshare and let's, and then afterwards you're like, oh, what, what did I just do when the limbic system, where the emotions are generated from, when that calms down, it's like, oh, okay, maybe that wasn't a good idea, or maybe I shouldn't have said that, or oh my word, why did I say that? Mm. And so we do have this ability, we have been gifted with this conscious brain, that we have the ability to be able to learn tools and techniques to calm that limbic system down, the emotional brain, and step into our observing self, which is able to observe our thoughts, our feelings, 
Because if we were our thoughts and feelings, of course, we wouldn't be able to observe them. So we know we're not our thoughts and feelings because otherwise we wouldn't be able to observe them. And so it's learning techniques to be able to step out of the really emotional brain, that limbic system, calm it down, step into the observing self and allow the sort of that prefrontal cortex, which as I say is the, is the newest part of our brain. It's the part also that makes us uniquely human. Other animals have a neocortex, but we as humans have this big prefrontal cortex. It's also where all our value judgments come from. It's where our moral judgments come from. It's where empathy comes from. And that's the part of our brain that we really want to be operating from. So that that is the part that then masters, we become masters of the primitive brain. But that's where we need to be operating from. When we make our decisions, when we do things in life, we need to make sure that we are coming from that place, from the prefrontal cortex and not from the emotional brain because we can make some terrible decisions. We can also be very um, selfish when we're in the emotional survival part of our brain because it's all about us and our survival. So when we want to sort of um, move, I suppose, you know, in terms of, worrying about the world and about community spirit and all of that, we're talking about coming from the prefrontal cortex because that's about compassion. That's where empathy lives. And that's where those are the parts that we want to develop. And really when, we, when we're doing altruistic things, that that is, the, that is where we're coming from. We're not coming from the primitive brain because that's all about us and our survival. You know, And so it's learning the difference and knowing how to calm the primitive brain down so we can become sovereign to it and that we are in control. It's not controlling us. And that's the difference. Beautiful. I think it's a really key point that you make that beginning to recognize with compassion about what's going on. It's like, okay, I've been hijacked and I, I do like that term, you know, that, that I feel like we're, we just get hooked by this emotional reaction and it's all we can see. We put the blinkers on and we're very reluctant to shift perspective. Uh, we get really dug in to our beliefs at that point. I think bringing compassion and self-awareness and self-love to me is, is the kind of the core of beginning to soften around here and beginning the journey into that inner world where we can begin to, I guess, reprogram is, is the word that kind of comes to mind. Beginning to detach and work through some of those old core wounds and behaviors. And I think it can be very difficult to experience those. Like, first of all, actually say, okay, I'm going to sit down today with my thoughts and I'm going to get into some stuff that I don't really want to face. To take that first leap is huge. But if you can come at it from that place of loving kindness and compassion, that you're actually doing this for yourself to get in touch with your true nature. I think that's a beautiful shift in perspective. And it makes it a little bit less scary as well. Yeah, definitely. I think the thing is, is that, you know, it's understanding that we are also, we have the power to be able to do that, to, to shift our perspective, because also, you know, where mm. our attention is and where our focus is, because where attention goes, energy flows and neural connection grows. And so what we are mm -hmm. focusing, if we're focusing on the negative, if we're focusing all of those things, then that's what we tend to see. But the emotional brain, we can learn techniques to calm it down, because at its very essence, emotions are really just instincts. We need all of them. Mm. 
we even need anxiety because otherwise if we had no anxiety, we'd be taking huge risks. Our species would never have survived. We'd be walking on the edge of cliff faces and all sorts. You know, we wouldn't have survived. So we do need all of the emotions, even the ones that are deemed negative. We need all of them. And just seeing them as instincts. But the difference is what we do as humans is that we attach a story to it and then it becomes our feelings. And so emotions and feelings are actually two different things. At its core, emotions are instincts. And then the feelings are almost the story we attached to the emotion, yes. which is quite quite a different thing. And that's also uniquely human. Animals don't do that. Yeah, That is a uniquely human thing that we do. You know, it's what you were saying earlier about sometimes sitting with the, the feelings, you know, going and sort of exploring them. And that is a very important thing to do is to sometimes go, okay, I am feeling this, this emotion. Maybe you don't want to, and so you suppress it. But ultimately, suppression just leads to other problems. Eventually, it will bubble up in some form. And so we do need to go deal with the negative feelings that we're having because it is an energy and we do yes. need to release it. We do exactly. need to let that energy go because we contain it within the body. And so it is important to be able to release the emotion that's attached to the memory. If you keep on thinking about something that happened to you 20 years ago and you still cross about it or the emotions, or you're still holding resentment or whatever, you haven't allowed the energy to be released. Um, and so it's really important to do that as well with this type of work is to release the energy from the memory. Yes, that's such a beautiful point. And it's something that really only came into my awareness in the last few years about the energetic work and coming into like that mind-body connection and how that manifests. Um, and one area that I'm particularly interested in is building this mindset of neutrality, beginning to move away from labeling things as, as good and bad and just seeing them as they are and bring in awareness to like what is the meaning that you attach to something we tend to attach good or bad to a neutral circumstance for me when you can begin to cultivate a neutral mindset it helps diffuse i think that emotional reactivity it kind of allows me to step back and just see it from all angles rather than getting hooked and pulled down and this is bad or this is good because that emotion then just like you say that generates the story which becomes the feeling and you know ultimately becomes the action and result and so on for me it's like the breaks that little loop in the habituals and it's something that i really like to to talk more on and you bring up this fact that in humans we go through something but we can keep reliving it that's really separates us from from the animal world and obviously regret is such a, a potent emotion and can keep us so stuck and it reminds me, I think in, in Buddhist philosophy, the Buddha calls this like the second arrow, you know, something bad happens to us and we get hit with that arrow and then we get hit again with the, the constant thought about how that made us feel. And we just kind of end up reliving the past over and over again. So I wonder if maybe we could steer in a little bit towards like some of the tools, even just some of the basic things that people can do feel like they're just getting swamped by their emotions or if they're in these loops of self-deprecating thoughts. What are some of the things that you would suggest, Colleen? You know, thoughts themselves can be habits. And so 
it's just a habit of thinking, you know, thinking a certain thing. And of course, you know, those neural pathways are well embedded because you keep on thinking those thoughts. And so it does take conscious effort to change your thoughts, Mm -hmm. but it's of course not impossible. And we know we can rewire our brain. And so that does take concerted effort to be able to move our thoughts elsewhere. But, you know, we are where our attention is. So once again, it is about noticing, being conscious of the story you're saying, the thoughts that you are having, and then moving it in a different direction. The thing that it helps enormously with this is priming our brain. So priming our brain for certain things, because we know that the unconscious doesn't know the difference between real or imagined events. And so if we are visualizing certain things, and I would uh, encourage everybody to, to start using visualization, positive mental rehearsal for the things that they're worried about or the new things they want to implement, because the unconscious doesn't know the difference. And so if you keep on imagining or doing a mental rehearsal of things going in the way that you want or creating that new habit or those new thinking patterns, the unconscious believes that those things have happened. And so we know this from neuroscience as well, that we can actually grow new neural circuits just from using our imagination alone. And so they did this exercise with two groups of people, and one group had to physically practice a piano exercise for three weeks or a month, and the other group had to imagine practicing it. And so every time we learn something new, we grow a new neural pathway. So they put everybody into a brain scan, they check the brain. And then after the experiment was over, they rescanned their brains and the same neural pathways had been created if you were physically doing it or mentally doing it. And so we know our imagination is incredibly powerful and that the unconscious doesn't know the difference. So just imagining doing these things will start to prime your brain for the new behavior or the new thought patterns. It helps it. It sort of gives it a a head start. So that's one thing that is incredibly powerful to do. Doing guided visualizations, of course, as well, depending on what it is you want to do. But the other thing, which is a very simple tool to use, and this is what I was speaking about earlier, about calming the emotional brain down, because of course we do get emotionally hijacked. So one of the tools that we can use, and it's very simple, is a breathing technique. There are a lot of breathing techniques out there. This one I use, it's called 7-Eleven, and it's breathing in for the count of seven and out for the count of 11. The outbreath has to be longer because the outbreath actually activates the body's parasympathetic nervous system, which is the relaxation response. And so if you're feeling anxious or highly emotional, you wanna calm the emotional brain down. And so this does that. However, what you're also doing, especially if you're sort of feeling slightly angsty or nervous or whatever, because we tend to overbreathe sometimes when we're feeling anxious. And so we kind of mess up the balance of the carbon dioxide to, to oxygen in our bloodstream. And so what this does, it, it also regulates and it balances the oxygen to CO2 in our bloodstream. Because I don't know, in the old days, what they used to do, if someone was having a panic attack or they were highly anxious, they used to give them a brown paper bag to breathe into and it used to calm them down. Mm-hmm. 
And that is because you need carbon dioxide to loosen the oxygen from the red blood cell to be able to use it. So even though you're over-breathing, you're actually becoming oxygen-deprived. And that's why the brown paper bag thing works so well, because you're breathing in carbon dioxide. But that's why these breathing techniques work so well, because it sorts out the, that balance of carbon dioxide to oxygen in your bloodstream. So it makes your body feel less trembly. You know, when you're feeling anxious, your body starts to start to react and you feel that tremblingness. Yeah. And that's because it's not using the oxygen enough. Plus, it also then brings your, your neocortex back online because what happens when we get highly emotional, and I'm not just talking about the negative emotions, mm -hmm. but the mechanism that evolved millions of years ago was that if you were in any threat or any danger, it's not time to think, it's time to take action. And so what happens is the unconscious part of your brain, the, the limbic system, it sends up inhibitory signals to your thinking brain to stop you thinking because it's not time to think. And so it doesn't take it completely offline, mm -hmm. but you don't think clearly. So a lot of the times when we are highly emotional, we go into this black and white type of thinking. It's all or nothing. Mm -hmm. It's all good or it's all bad. You can't see the shades of gray. And that's because your emotional brain is in charge and it's basically sent up these inhibitory signals to your neocortex. And so what the breathing technique does is it calms that part of your brain down so your neocortex comes back online so you can think more rationally and you can see more clearly. So it works in those two ways, about the oxygen levels in your bloodstream and about actually bringing your neocortex back online so you can get a different and a clearer perspective and then you can get and step back into that observing self because you can't step into the observing self when you've been emotionally hijacked. You need to calm that brain down first and then your neocortex comes back online and you see things differently. You see things more clearly, more rationally. Super, super explanation. I think that's a beautiful example of what I was talking about earlier on, how you can really give a piece of very practical advice, like just breathe, but really go deeper into why it's so effective. So thank you so much for giving that explanation. I think that's fascinating. And it really highlights to me the, the importance of understanding the mind-body connection, how we're not just our thoughts. We are this human experience in, in this body and it's also intrinsically linked. And I think all of this stuff is coming from the fear base. And I'm interested to hear how you coach and deal with fear. On my journey, I've had to deal a lot with uncoupling from different fears and trying to become more aware and in tune with them. And through the different teachings that I've pursued, the concept of making friends with fear, accepting it as part of the human condition rather than something that we should be striving to overcome. Like one day we will defeat fear and that's it, we'll never be afraid again. Whereas looking at the lessons that are in our fears and how we can bring compassion to it to actually soften and grow. So I'd love to hear maybe your perspective on fear, Colleen, and any of your own practices or how you like to coach on it. You know, firstly, I think fear is, you know, such an interesting topic because, of course, we all experience it and it's necessary. It's not as, you know, people will say, oh, I just want this fear gone. But actually, once again, we do need fear to keep us alive. We need a degree of it. Mm -hmm. But there is a difference between life-threatening fear and psychological fear. Mm. And once again, you know, when we evolve this mechanism, this flight and fight response to deal with threats. Psychological fear didn't exist. There was only life-threatening fear. We didn't have mortgages to pay and, you know, 
<laughs> bosses to try and impress or whatever it is. We didn't have any of that. We only had life-threatening fear. And so when modern human emerged 50,000 years ago, actually our physiology hasn't changed very much, maybe slightly, but it really hasn't changed very much. Yeah. And so none of these things existed 50,000 years ago. It was only predators mm -hmm. and life-threatening fears and keeping alive and finding food and stuff like that and procreating. And so in a way, you could say that all fear is a fear of death because yeah. the brain doesn't understand psychological fear. So if it feels fear, if you're feeling fear, that part of your brain thinks, oh my gosh, your life could be in danger mm -hmm. because it doesn't distinguish between psychological fear and life-threatening fear. And so we can retrain our brain to be able to understand the difference because of course we need fear in a life-threatening situation to be able to get us out of there. But we also need to distinguish about the things that yes, we're feeling a bit of fear, but they're not going to kill us. Mm -hmm. But the reason why the brain stops us is because, of course, it's hanging on for dear life. It thinks your life is in danger because you're feeling fear. And so we have to stop reprogramming it and get it to see the difference between life-threatening fear and psychological fear. And part of that is also practicing bravery, mm. practicing bravery, scheduling in bravery every single day. Even if it's something really small that you feel like, oh, I really don't want to do that. I don't want to make that phone yes. call or that difficult thing, or I don't want to get on a stage on Clubhouse or whatever it is. Do it. Embrace it. Because these are the things that you're teaching it, that these things are not going to kill you. It's actually okay. And it's reprogramming it. And it's almost sort of like I look at it as like a ladder of fear. Start small, just some small stuff that scares the, the hell yeah. out of you, and then work up to the bigger things. Because as you go you start to see more clearly that as the fear starts to diminish, you start to see more possibilities as you start to climb that ladder. And then you can start bigger fears, bigger things, things that you never dreamed you would do in 100 years. Suddenly you're contemplating, well, maybe I could do it. I've done these other things. So it also builds your confidence because you know that you can tackle it. So it's not go grab the most frightening thing on earth right now, but start smaller with some of your smaller fears and build up. But there's just one more thing that I want to say about fear. We also have the fear sometimes, which is very different to these other fears of, oh my gosh, am I going to pay the mortgage this month? Or what's going to happen with COVID? Mm. You know, those are like survival-based fears. However, we also have this other thing of we get scared when we are moving into growth, mm. you know, um, and that is it. often it feels different in the body. So it was also sort of to get really observant about what we are feeling. Often that fear of when we're into growth, it's a more of a quickening. It's more of a, like a slightly tinged with bits of yes. excitement, but oh, yes. I don't know. And it's a, it actually feels different in the body. It does. And so it's really tuning into that as well and going, oh, okay, I know this. This is something to move towards. When I feel this, this is something to move towards. This is not something to move away from. This is, this is my opportunity for growth when I feel this. And then we start telling ourselves that story and we start reframing that feeling. And so we're reprogramming that feeling that we've got in our body, which means this is important. This is really important. This is my opportunity to grow. And we change the whole story that is around the feeling in our body. Like people always speak about the classic thing of there's not much difference in terms of how we feel things in our body between excitement and fear. It's the story we attach to it. Mm. And so it's really starting to really tune into what we're feeling in our body and create a story around that. This is oh this mean this is obviously something that's so important. This means something. This is this is my opportunity to grow here. I need to move towards this and see the difference and really start to reprogramming our brain and what we bring up in 
in the story that's attached to what we're feeling in our body. Fantastic. That's so interesting. I love it. So a couple of things that kind of come to mind is that to me, that sort of feeling of excitement is like my intuition is kind of trying to tell me something and then it brings up this sensation. And because I, I'm quite excited by it, it also brings up, hang on, in order to do that, I'm going to have to do X, Y and Z. And all of those things, X, Y and Z are really challenging for me. They, they scare me. So it's kind of like I feel sometimes I'm a bit caught between this like excitement. I want to do this. This is like, yes, I know that this is part of my calling or my mission, my soul print, whatever terminology you want to use. Then like it's like, oh, my ego just chimes straight in with like, oh, no, I remember the last time you did that. It didn't work out. You shouldn't do that. You know what I mean? That the, the fear of mine. Mm. In. so it's almost a bit of a paradox it's like i want to do this but now i'm afraid to do it because of x y and z yeah it just wants to keep you safe and so you know that the brain it loves familiarity and that's your familiar is safe because it's what it knows and so like it's even people who have been in say abusive relationships or they've grown up in an abusive household when they were kids often then they, they go and recreate that in adulthood even though it causes them a lot of actual pain and it's actually harming them there's another part of the brain that feels safe it feels well, this is familiar and there's a safety within that familiarity. So it wants to pull you back. So it is a little bit of a tug of war between those two drives. Yeah. But the problem is, is that when our drive for avoiding threat becomes stronger than our drive to move towards reward, which is how we grow, that's where there's a problem. That's where there's a real problem. And sometimes that's what happens. The drives get imbalanced because we also get a little dopamine hit, you know, which is the reward hormone that we get a little dopamine hit when we avoid a threat as well. Mm -hmm. And so that drive, we get rewarded so much for avoiding the threat that somehow it gets programmed that that's almost more important than the drive to move, to move towards reward and growth. So it's just the circuits have become a little bit imbalanced and it's kind of hijacked the, our growth circuits when we stay in our comfort zone. I think uncertainty is the word that comes to mind. We get so fixated on not knowing what's coming that we begin to fill in all the gaps based on prior experience. Mm. We, we create the story of like, this is going to happen if I try this. I'm going to fail because of this happened before. I'm being sort of curious around uncertain things. I think that really helps bringing in some playful curiosity, almost like that childlike mind, okay, where we're just open to everything and, and we try it without any prior knowledge. Bringing that softness of curiosity, I think, is, is a really helpful. Okay, yes, it is uncertain, but I'm curious to see what happens if I go with this. This could be exactly the thing that I've been dreaming of. You know, what if this is the path for me? Like you say, taking those small steps, but keeping the, the vision and the, your mission in mind. Ultimately, that is where we find fulfillment and growth. It's what we want the most. And it's taken those little micro steps of courage and bravery. I think that's a beautiful reminder of actually cultivating courage and bravery. I think that's something that not many people talk about. You know, it, it is something that's so important. It's like every day, like these mini exposure therapies. Like I'm just going to do this 1% more than I did yesterday. Mm, tiny bit every day. Just schedule it in. I need to do one thing that scares me a little bit today. Yeah. Soon taking on bigger things. Because you're also building that confidence. Oh, wait, I can do this. I can do this. And not overthinking. 
So, you know, using the five second rule, you know, not overthinking, because when we overthink, that's when mm. the monkey mind comes in and talks us out of it. Exactly. And so, oh, I don't think so. It's a bit dangerous. I, I don't think you should be doing that. Just acting in that moment where you're thinking, oh, I'm going to do this. And then you stop and you think, well, maybe I shouldn't. It's just you need to act in that, you know, do the five second rule, five, four, three, two, one, do that thing. Go put your hand up to speak on that clubhouse stage, pick up the phone and make that difficult phone call, whatever it is. Don't overthink, just take that action and do it. Exactly. I love it. Intentional action, tuning back into your inner strength, you know, trusting yourself, believing in what you're doing and being able to stand by it. Um, even on the most micro levels, that is, is something that really cultivates confidence, I think talking around like fear and tuning in more to like intuition listening to those messages i'm curious to to hear a little bit more about maybe how you deal with intuition and listening to your higher self when you are feeling maybe quite caught in that fear based reactivity how do you stay true to to your mission and your higher purpose mm -hmm. yeah so part of that for sure is what i was speaking about earlier about making sure that you are not being hijacked, emotionally hijacked, that you've calmed that part of your brain down. Ways of doing that, of course, is to have a meditation practice so you know that you've calmed that part of the brain down. And so that's what I do. I make sure that I am doing things like 7-Eleven breathing. I'm not just doing it when I'm feeling panic, but I do it throughout the day. I just take, you know, maybe it's three, four, five times a day, just taking a few moments out to just sit do some breathing, some 7-Eleven breathing so that I know that I'm calming mm. that emotional brain down. So I know that I'm definitely operating from my neocortex or the prefrontal cortex because that is the part that allows us to be able to cut through the noise of the monkey mind because there is a lot of chatter. The other thing I would say I have done for myself is I have worked on, a lot of us have the inner critic and so, you know, we don't hear our inner coach or our inner guidance system, that, that intuition or mm -hmm. our higher self or whatever it is, everybody has a different name for it. Or the observing self is also what I call it. We sometimes just hear the inner critic. And so I have really created almost a persona around it. And so it's like, what would she do? in this situation. And it's of course, it's a part of me, but the same, you can do that with your inner critic as well. You can sort of dissociate yourself in the same way with your inner, inner critic, that it's not really you. And so I've more tuned out of the inner critic and I've tuned in more to my inner coach. And that to me is the voice of my intuition. That is my higher self. That is my, my intuition who I speak to as a person. I know her well, I can ask her for guidance. But I've created that over various techniques and visualizations and journaling about her, that she's come to life for me. She's a real person inside of me that in times of distress, I can turn to and say, I need your help. What, what would you suggest here? And she has a strong, strong voice inside of me. And that is my higher self. That is in my intuition. But it's getting out of your head as well and just connecting to in those moments of meditation, holding that intention of what, what would she do, asking, holding the intention, whatever it is, and see what comes to you, um, but getting out of the noise so that you can hear, you can hear the voice of intuition. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's it's so beautiful to be able to personify that, that all or whatever you like to describe your, your higher self as um, and really getting to know that entity for want of a better word and building that relationship with yourself 
and it does take work and it takes deep listening being able to create a space where you can get really still and feel that spaciousness in your body really allow the the egoic mind to just settle let, let that chatter just simmer down and it's quite profound i think when you're in those different states of consciousness produced through meditation and various other forms but let's just talk about meditation because i think it's the most accessible and and useful for people right now you get to really build a relationship with who you really are messages feelings these different sensations come through um, and to me it's where i find find truth and we're we're all so interested in the truth of who we really are who is this who is living this experience right now and what am i here to do you know what am i really here to do how am i here to serve or how am i here to to show up for me and my family and and whatever that is to you in that space you can really listen deeply and i think connect to what's really important to you so cultivating a practice of whatever that means to you to actually take time to tune in and hear who is here <laughs> it's a beautiful thing and one of the most profound things anyone can do for themselves you know it's, it's definitely changed my life and we begin to see that beautiful ripple effect because i think in that place there's some softness and there's the the seeds of self-love and compassion and every time I go there, I kind of water those seeds and it begins to just gradually creep out into, into the rest of my life and affects me and other people in a much more beautiful way. So I think cultivating any type of practice like that is, is so important. You know, it really just helps us, again, shift perspective and, and see what's important to us. Mm, yeah. You know, as you say, it's changing consciousness. So moving from one state of consciousness into another and it is creating that space for, for other perspectives to come in. And meditation is an amazing way to do that. But even sort of mindfulness, walking in mm. the park and being very mindful of the trees and the flowers, being very present and grounded in the present moment, not walking in the park with a 100 thoughts, going around about shopping lists and what you need to do, but actually just being present and grounded in the present moment. Um, is incredibly important and it relieves it relieves that chatter in the head and yes it is a practice mindfulness itself is a practice as well but incredibly powerful to relieve some of the the chatter some of the monkey mind it, you know the more you do it the easier it does become of course so i think i'd like to, to just come back full circle to how we kind of began around the the struggles of being ourselves, being who we really are and our and our beliefs kind of shaping that and getting to the to the crux of like who we really are true identity and i know we both are huge champions of of leadership and female leadership in particular we both work in in those spheres and one of the i think the main issues that i experience when coaching female leaders is this gap of confidence to really fully express who they are sometimes Obviously, there's there's even more conditioning, another layer again, by being a woman in the world and a woman in business, there's even more to break through. And I'd love to hear a little bit about cultivating self-belief, self-trust, because to me, the, those are the seat of confidence. That's where confidence, I think, really emanates from. And I'd be really curious to hear your perspective on it. And I know that you've touched on it earlier in the episode that 
once we do things that scare us, it builds confidence too, because we get to get that feedback of like, oh, well, actually I am capable. I am competent. All of these things are actually proven. My fear is wrong. For the listeners who are really feeling like they want, want to move into that leadership role or they are already in it um, and they really want to just excel, how we can maybe help them just move along. So I think especially for women, I think sometimes, you know, we can hold ourselves back because if we like it or not as women, the more successful we become, the more we actually are disliked. And I'm not just saying that there's a lot of evidence to actually support that, you know, that women, successful women are not liked as much. And so there is also that whole thing going on, almost like a fear of success and just showing up unapologetically confident because, you know, a man may be called assertive in a situation, whereas a woman could be called bitchy. You know, we get a lot of negative sort of uh, like wording around some of our behavior. You know, it's even little girls. So a little boy may be praised for doing that really assertive thing or whatever, whereas a little girl may be called bossy boots. You don't hear boys being called bossy boots. Just doesn't get put onto men. And so I think for us as women, we've had a lot of that through the years of knowing, we intrinsically know, and also marginalized parts of society, they do tend to turn on each other. And women throughout until quite recently, and I mean, you could say we still are, Mm -hmm. have been marginalized. And so quite often women, it's more women who are the the worst critics on women. You know, it's not necessarily men, It's, it's actually women to each other. So I think that this can be a big hurdle to overcome. But I think creating spaces and having conversations where we empower each other and realize that the narrative is changing. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to support each other. We, you know, go out there and shine as bright as you want because it also shines the light on the path for all of us to follow. And so we have to be pioneers. We have to be pioneers and put our neck out. And maybe people will call us a bitch or maybe people will call us some negative names. But if we don't do that, then what are we leaving for the next generations of girls to come? We have to also think about this is not just about me. This is about the legacy that I'm leading for others. And so maybe it can be challenging for us to push through those fears, to go and, but you know, and we've got those years of conditioning of like, no, just be the good girl. Don't speak up. Don't whatever. We must speak up. We must speak up for all the little girls that come behind us, for all the other women that are there in the room as well. We're taking, it's, it's one for the team. It's not just about ourselves. And I think when we feel that we are doing this as something that is much bigger than just our own individual ego, it actually also makes it easier because it's not just about us and you having to face that difficult, challenging thing. We're doing it for the women that stand behind us and then all the little girls that are standing behind those. You know, So it makes it a bit easier. It makes it a bit easier to push yourself forward and be unapologetically confident. Go and speak up. Be assertive as much as you possibly can, because there is this charge coming up. You know, and that's why I created the room on Clubhouse, Women in Mind, because I, I want to create spaces that women feel that they have that support and that there's others encouraging them to do it. Mm. But it also comes down to things like that early programming about beliefs about ourselves. And we need to crash all that stuff down and see it for what it is. It's nonsense. You know, it's, yeah. we're crashing the patriarchy at the same time. Yeah. And what's come out of that, it's going to take a long time because what we have 
as women going into leadership, we've got only a very, very short and new set of examples to look at for female leadership. You know, it's a, it's a very new phenomenon seeing women in leadership roles within, you know, Fortune 500 companies or it's running okay. countries or whatever. It's, it's, it's in modern history. Mm. And so when we look at who are our role models for female leaders, we don't have a huge amount. Great point, yeah. And some of those female leaders they were just emulating male leadership because that's all we had. So they weren't actually showing up in a true female leadership way. They were just emulating Mm. male leadership. So what does female leadership look like? We need to create that. Not, you know, because a lot of the, the, the female leaders that have come before, they were just emulating male leadership because that's what leadership looked to us. No, that's male leadership not leadership, (laughs) you know, and so we have to understand from the female point of view, what does female leadership look like? And I think to me, who's a a brilliant example, I can't remember her full name, but it's the the prime minister of New Zealand. I think her name is Jacinda, something like that. And she is an enormously brilliant role model, I think, for Mm. female leadership, because she's not afraid to be empathic and to show that side she's not afraid of that at all she can be decisive and she can be strong but she's also full of empathy hugging people caring about people leading with empathy as well which i think a lot of female leaders are scared of because they think oh that that will look like i'm soft and leadership shouldn't look soft yes yes beautiful topic I think it's so interesting that making that shift between leadership as actually, okay, I'm just emulating what male leadership is to actually now begin to co-create what a powerful female leader is. I think you bring up a great example. Yes, she is a wonderful example of, of, of using empathy and compassion as well. And when you reflect on that, it just as soon as you said her name, it's like, yeah, that, that feeling came to me of like, it's just a different consciousness. And you kind of look across the board, mm. you know, politically or in companies at the moment, even in the entrepreneurial space, there just seems like such a, a selfish, you know, uncompassionate sort of viewpoint that goes across the board. It's a real, like, just looking after myself, pure me first. Mm-hmm. And that's something, obviously, that hasn't really gotten us very far, right? It's not really work. It's not working out for us, right? No, yeah. that's, that's what needs to change, yeah. For me, as, as a coach, you know, people ask me this a lot. It's like, well, why, why do you work with women so much? Why are you so, like, you know, is, is there something wrong with men? And I'm like, well, no, not, not at all. But I want to I want to see perspective. I want to feel balance. I want to feel compassion. And, you know, why should we completely suppress the other entity on this planet, you know, that we share this, this planet with? Why would we do that? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. And it's not about, um, you know, that we want like, you know, all female leadership. We don't. We want it equal. We want it balanced because we need both. Exactly. Yeah, because it's the yin and the yang, isn't it? It's we need both sides. It's we have the fe- the masculine energy with the, fe- fe- the feminine energy. We need need both sides to make a whole you know, 100%. So it's not to say that we are, you know, demonizing men, but absolutely no, we need them just as much as we need the women, but we need that balance to bring both sides to the party. Because sometimes we do need the energy, that masculine energy, where there's maybe that little bit more risk taking. And whereas the woman might be, you know, it's not to say that women don't take risks, but it's known to be much more of a, of a male trait to be quite, especially the younger men, you know, the young in their 20s men, they can be quite risk taking. And maybe we wouldn't have had that financial crisis, um, wasn't quite 10 years ago, but that financial crash with the banks, you know, maybe we wouldn't have had that, you know, that all came down to a lot of risk taking, 
within um, the city, you know, maybe if there were more women working in, in that environment, maybe there would have been a little bit of a pullback. Yes, still, you need to still take risks, but also maybe it's not so testosterone risk driven, you know? A lot of that, that energy is very, it's like, okay, just succeed in the moment and it's not really forward thinking, you know, what are mm. the repercussions of, of some of these decisions that are going to be made? Again, it's, it's, it's something that I'm so passionate about, you know, not only empowering introverted leaders as well as female leaders, it's bringing that balance between people who can show up with this energy of compassion, of consciousness, who can take that step back and see the bigger picture before taking action. So you can really take intentional action. I think that's one of the things that introverts and empaths do so well is that because they take that pause that moment to actually think on a deeper level they're not so reactive that i think sometimes maybe a more aligned decision can be made from that place and that's why i'm really it yes. does drive me so much to do this work is because the way you're talking about leadership for the little girls right now, for the, the, the women who are rising in the next generations, you're doing this to create the world for them, right? Where this is part of our service, what we leave behind, our legacy. And for me to think that, you know, like my little niece is growing up, will still have to put up with this just archaic mindset is just, I can't deal with that. I can't have it, you know? <laughs> and that's why I'm, I'm so kind of called mm. to do this work. And I think leadership has become a word that's just so bandied about now that I'm not even sure a lot of people really know what it really means. You know, anyone can kind of call themselves a leader in their their Facebook profile or their Instagram handle. And well, what does that really mean to be a leader? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's definitely not just managing no. people. <laughs> you know, it's, it's leadership is a whole other thing altogether. But sometimes people sort of like misinterpreted that it's about, you know, managing people. Um, and it's so much more than that. It's far beyond managing people. Exactly. Yeah. It's not. It's not just about uh, like that's just a tiny little part of of that whole experience, right? Mm. Um, and I think the more that I, I read about great leaders and people I really respect, it's the human connection that really makes them someone that people would walk into the fire for, so to speak. You know, it's it's that they they, mm, they get them on a very deep level and they can relate to them in a compassionate, empathic way. And I think they're able to park their ego as well, make difficult decisions, even when it may not necessarily align with what they want. But they can see that it's on the whole the the wisest move in that point. Definitely, no, I, I totally agree. You know, because a good leader, it's not it's not about them. Yes. You know, it's about what what they're inspiring in others, and they certainly are not threatened. They're not threatened by other people. Mm. Because then really that's coming from, you know, me, myself, that survival thing as well. They're not threatened by other people that are perhaps beneath them trying to come up through the ranks and take their job because it's about allowing that person to be the best they can possibly be and inspiring them to be the best they can possibly be rather than feeling threatened by them. Do you think it's important, like talking about like the, the sort of cultivation of a female leadership and, and as that, that idea evolves on what that is, how much do you think community is important in that bringing women together to sort of, and I think this goes across the board, this, this collaborative spirit rather than competition? Yeah, you know, I think that is incredibly important, collaboration over competition. Because, you know, once again, competition is also coming from that very survival-based thing, feeling like there's not enough. Like if somebody else is doing a 
job or has a business very similar to mine, I need to sort of be really threatened by them. Where it's also, you know, that's bringing in as well that scarcity mindset, which is really coming from the survival part of our brain as well, where it's, I, I better get ahead. I better, I'll do my competition because there's not enough. There is enough. There's enough for everybody. It doesn't matter if you are doing exactly the same thing as me. You're not doing it exactly the same way I am. People buy people and they buy brands and they buy, you know, some people are going to love your brand and what you're offering. And even if it's it's very, very similar and some people are going to want it um, from another person. And so we don't have to feel threatened. We can collaborate. And I think, you know, certainly what I've been doing on Clubhouse with the collaboration of of the women that I have moderating with me, they're all doing very similar Mm. things as me. You know, they're all coaching women. They're all in that mindset type space. But it's okay. What we what we bring to the table is different, and there's enough to go around for everyone. You know, there's a huge population in this world, and there's enough business. There's enough of everything. There's you know, we need to be coming from that more abundant way of seeing things and not feeling threatened. And when I say you know competition, I'm not meaning about just a bit of sports competition. I think that's a whole different thing altogether. I'm just talking about competition in business and in sort of feeling like you need to get ahead of other people because there's not enough to go around that type of competition you know where you can't possibly collaborate with someone who's doing the same thing as you because you know they might take your business you feel so threatened you feel that's coming from a place of fear and nobody wants to live in fear because even you can have you know the biggest bank accounts in the world but if it's being created from a place of fear then really how at peace are you going to be within yourself if everything you've created is based on fear and you've coming from that survival place of your brain? You're still not going to be feeling at peace or or that level of contentment. No, there's no inner peace there. No, no, not at all. It's built on sort of fear and worry and anxiety. That's the illusion that we've really been conditioned to to strive for, isn't it? Mm. After your time spent in the clubhouse rooms i can imagine you've learned a lot had a lot of very interesting conversations and you know this this room has grown a lot now i know you've got quite you know a few thousand members and it's really expanding what would you say is the greatest lesson that you've learned or greatest insight that you've gained from speaking to these women over this time Hmm, that's a really interesting one um i think the greatest insight that i've got is that everybody has something to teach Mm. Everybody has something really profound to share and to teach, no matter where you're coming from in life. Even your difficulties, the obstacle often is the way. There is some wonderful bit of gold nugget uh, in the in the in the most sort of um, darkest of places. And I think what I have learned a hundred percent is that everybody has some wisdom to share be it from their personal experiences or because it's just coming innately from within them. Maybe it's not from their experiences, but they just have a wisdom. But everybody definitely has um, something brilliant to teach and brilliance to share. And it's to also for us to stay open-minded enough to be able to accept the teachings from others. Yeah. Because sometimes we can judge people and like, oh, well, this person, you look at their bio or whatever, and we can, sometimes we can do that. Oh, well, that's, this is, who's this person to be speaking? And actually there's such amazing wisdom and a real good learning to take from that person. So it's not judging people as well, because everybody does have something to share, which we teach us all. It's interesting. And I think to me, it's like almost like how we attach worth to people, like someone's opinion or who they are. Suddenly we make this snap judgment based on a metric. Mm. Like we're attached 
to someone or, you know, this person obviously is really, you know, has a lot to say because they've got 15,000 followers. This person has got 300. Hmm, which one am I going to listen to over the other one? You know, there must be a reason why this person has that. I know this is a very general statement, but there's something yes. deeper there that I've really like personally picked up on. And I'm just reflecting it, you know, trying to be kind of vulnerable here and say that, you know, I found these little moments where I'm starting to judge people. You know, should I follow this person? Eh, they've only got this many likes, you know. It's so weird. Mm. And it's, I think it's quite pervasive. We have such a, a short attention span. You know, within those first few seconds, we'll decide whether we want to learn about someone or give someone the time of day. Mm. If we are basing that, on a number on their screen i wonder what would happen if they removed all of those follower metrics and all those sort of glamour metrics i call them it's true i mean i think it's you know like instagram as well in itself talking about instagram it's one of the worst apps for our mental health and that's been you know measured and or studied um, because there's so much comparison that goes on there and it's also all these likes and and more, I mean, Facebook obviously is also, you know, all of that. But somehow Instagram is that little bit worse because it is so, I don't know, it's it's, it's such a visual platform as well that there is so much comparison that goes on there. And that is, you know, as Eleanor Roosevelt said, uh, comparison is the thief of joy. That is going to suck us out of gratitude and put us into envy for sure. Beautiful. I think that's a powerful statement to to end our, our chat on, Colleen. So I'd like to always end the episode with a little reflection and take away some of the key points that, that really kind of shone through to me. And I think today, some of the things that I really feel is coming into trusting your voice and your self-worth, like that you do have something important to say. And it's really what you believe and what is standing in your way from expressing that because i think we've both experienced people who have huge impact on the world and the planet and we need them right now so much and having that little bit of bravery you talked about bravery i think that's a beautiful thing cultivating a little bit of courage to go out and really express yourself so for me i think that really shone through today and i thank you so much for for bringing that to the show today oh you're welcome i've absolutely loved it thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure Colleen, can you share some details of where people can find you online? If someone wants to learn more about working with you, where can they go? Yeah, so I do run my clubhouse room, which is run through the club Women in Mind. I do run that room every morning, Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. UK time. And it's all about mindset and transformation and personal development and, you know, becoming that best version of ourselves, getting out of our own way so that we can do that. Um, but if you want to contact me, probably the best way to get hold of me is through my Instagram. Um, my Instagram, you could search by me by my name. I've got a personal Instagram under my name, but I've also got a business Instagram, which is under the name Detox Your Mind. In my bio, I have a link tree and I've got various ways that you can get onto some of my free training. I've got paid training, I've got free training, but it's all in that um, link tree that is in my Instagram. So that's probably the easiest way um, to get hold of of me um it's through there through instagram beautiful so everyone you know go and give colleen a follow and, and check out that clubhouse room because there's a few rooms that i follow quite consistently but yours is, is definitely one of them it's it's i get so much from it and it's, it's a very beautiful space that colleen holds for people there and i really encourage you to go and check it out if this stuff has resonated with you so intuitively something has just come to me that i want to ask you if yourself from say five years ago was listening to this show today what message would you have for her now after 
what you've learned. All right. Yeah. So I would say the person or the self from five years ago, I think she was still suffering with a bit of fear. And what I would say to her is, you know, just focus on yourself. Mm. Um, don't compare. There was a lot of comparison still going on five years ago. Was I doing the right thing? What are other people doing? The advice I'd give to her really in a nutshell is just focus on you. Just focus on yourself. That's all you need to do. Focus on where you're going, your message, what you want to do, what you want to put out there in the world. Doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. Just focus on you. That's it. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for bringing your your warm presence. Thank you for bringing your incredible, intelligent mind, your depth of knowledge. It's been a real honor and it's been a beautiful show. Thank you so much, Colleen. You're welcome. Um, I've really loved it. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you, my friend, for listening. I truly appreciate you being here. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. And if you really love this episode, please share on your Instagram stories and tag me so I can personally thank you. And I invite you to help this community grow. You can do so by rating five stars and leaving a very short one sentence review wherever you get your podcasts from. It'll really help the visibility of the show and make it much easier for more sensitive souls to find it. You can grab some free meditations from me by going to pauljoggins.com and you can learn a little bit more about my unique mindset work there. Finally, I'd love to connect with you on Instagram. You can follow me and I'll be sure to follow you back. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about your journey. If you'd like to be in with a chance to win a 90 minute coaching call with me this month, all you have to do to enter is simply share this episode in your Instagram story, tag me, it's Paul Joggins, and tag three other friends in the story who you think would really love this episode too. I'll be drawing a winner at random at the end of the month. So good luck 